glorious words to sing this morning. Good morning, everybody. Great to be together again. Thanks so much to Jonathan and to our musicians, vocalists, for leading us in the praise of the Lord Jesus this morning. Please turn back in your Bibles to 1 Peter. It's a while since we've been here, but welcome back to 1 Peter as we find our way back into this letter this morning. And if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, maybe you'll remember in the early days of your Christian life, realizing that a significant change was somehow coming over your life. Do you remember finding, for example, that your mouth was being cleaned up and the strong or vile words or the sharp temper uh, that, that used to characterize you and, and these words that came that seemed uh, to come so easily and always seemed to fit the occasion, suddenly they didn't seem just as fitting and, and now you found them being repressed. Do you remember how when you were in a tight spot reaching for a flat lie to tell to help you out suddenly didn't seem like the brilliant and only solution to the situation? Do you recall how you began to feel differently towards people, even people who maybe at times gave you a hard time. Perhaps you had the, the, the new perspective on the poor victim of the hard-edged joking in school or in the workplace, where once you would have kept the barrage of abuse going and laughed until you were sore as comment after comment rained down on whoever's turn it was to, to get a doing, as we say, suddenly you found in the midst of that you were slightly ill at ease in the setup. And you kind of felt that you wanted to support the person and you kind of wanted the barrage to stop. Do you remember there was a season in your life where you couldn't have told whether you owned a Bible or not, but then suddenly you discovered that you couldn't put your Bible down. And you were amazed to discover how the questions that were arising in your life were being answered as you drank in the truth of these ancient words. It was coming right off the page and, and smacking you between the eyes in the most wonderful way. Do you remember that there was a time when going to church was the most boring thing on offer? But then a change came. And you found yourself beginning to prioritize being with the Lord's people and even to look forward to it. Weren't there times when it was the best part in your week? And you noticed how people that you didn't know, people from a different age profile to you, began to matter to you. And as you sat in the meeting and you heard the names of those who were ill or who were going through some kind of difficult time, you found that you had a concern for them. And you found that you were praying for them. And you found afterwards at coffee, you were speaking to people you didn't know and you found that you had a deep connection. Do you remember? I wanted to mention some of these things this morning because these were the kind of things that Peter's readers were experiencing. And he wrote to them because he wanted them to know about the changes that had come into their lives. And we get the sense as we read this little letter 
that it was still relatively early days for these disciples. For example, in our section this morning, if you look at right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So he's talking about those who were still relatively early on. It was the beginning of this new life for them in Christ. And the thing is about all these examples I've tried to call to mind this week and and, and remind us of this morning, the thing about them is, as we look back on that in our own experience, if if we are followers of the Lord Jesus this morning, you and I know that it wasn't us who made the initial effort to clean up our chat or to be more honest or less given to fits of temper or to care for people, or to read our Bibles, or to meet with the Lord's people. We did these things. They were happening in our lives. We were, we were definitely engaging with them, but there was a power at work that enabled us to change and enabled us to be different. We were being changed, but not by New Year resolutions, but not by our own conventions, not by changes that we were trying to make ourselves. We were seeing the world in a totally new way. We were seeing the Lord in a completely new way. We were seeing his people in a new way. We were seeing his word in a new way. New appetites had coming, had come. Old appetites were, were fading. And as we grew in these early days, we became aware that it was the Lord making these changes in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we began to love his work. As chapter 2, verse 3 says, we tasted that the Lord is good. All these years we thought he was boring and to be avoided, but now suddenly we tasted the Lord is good. It wasn't that we sensed that we were good, but that he was intrinsically and unerringly good. And we wanted more of him, more of the changes that his goodness was bringing to our lives. So we began to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. That's the experience of many who've come to know the Lord. It's the experience of those for whom Peter wrote his letter. Now, those who are not yet followers of the Lord Jesus, we're so thrilled that you might be here this morning in that category or watching online and you don't yet count yourself a a follower of the Lord Jesus. I want you to hear this as well because... I don't want anyone to misunderstand the new birth. I don't want you to look at the lives of Christians you know and think that you could never be a Christian because you don't have the inclinations they've got and you don't have the power that they've got to live a life that takes Jesus seriously. You just look at that and you think, I could never be like that. Listen, none of us had that power. None of us does have that power naturally by ourselves. He gives the power. He changes lives. You should know that. We want you to know that. And the word of God makes this so plain to us. We saw as we began this series last autumn, and we've been going through it at such a phenomenal rate. We're not even out of chapter one. But we saw, and it's interesting, there was two bottles of water here this morning, and I thought someone's really expecting me to preach for a long while. Not just a a glass, but two bottles, and I'm glad Jonathan's taken one of them. But we saw as we looked at this last year that just as with our spiritual birth, sorry, just as with our physical birth, 
whether it was in Beckford Lodge or Belsa Maternity or the Smiley Hospital in Lanark or in more recent times in, in Wishaw General or wherever you were born in the house or somewhere else in the UK or somewhere else in the world, wherever you were born, just as with our physical birth, so with our spiritual birth, it wasn't something that we organized ourselves. And we saw, if you glance back to chapter 1, verse 3, have a wee look at it with me, just to be reminded of this this morning. We saw how Peter just bursts out in praise, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We didn't cause ourselves to be born, and we didn't cause ourselves to be born again. He has caused that to happen to be born into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's a wonderful thing to realize, but what Peter wants, as we've seen from what we've looked at in the first chapter already, is for his readers to grow up into salvation, as he puts it in this passage we're looking at this morning. And to grow up into salvation is to live the life of those who've been saved and changed, and to embrace that life for ourselves. Because we've also seen that part of the change that the Lord works in us is that we grow up so that we don't just remain as infants. We don't just remain as newborns. If we have tasted that the Lord is good, we embrace the new life and we take responsibility to live according to it. So do you remember, for example, chapter 1, verse 14? Have a, a glance at it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't let your old life, don't let your old ways of thinking mold you into its, its shape. Chapter 1, verse 15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, be distinctively different in all your conduct. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we have to take responsibility to live the new life, to become less like our old selves. And more like our Heavenly Father. Chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on him as Father, which we do, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves, we saw, with fear throughout the time of your exile. And we, we looked at this and we realized that this fear of which, in which we should live as Christians... This fear that should be a healthy part of the Christian life is not a fear of God suddenly changing his character and lashing out. He's not going to do that. Or of God changing his mind about his promise to save us. It's not a fear of him getting fed up with us. None of these things is going to happen. It's almost the opposite of that. It's the healthy fear of us ever taking for granted. And thinking little of the staggering things the Lord has done for us. That's the fear in which we're meant to live. It's a fear that trusts him and does not trust ourselves. So in summary then, so far, in our studies in 1 Peter, we've seen this balance between God's sovereign activity in our lives, causing us to be born again, and the other side of the balance is our ongoing responsibility to grow in faith and to live accordingly. And today, as we continue in chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we find both these aspects of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in this section. And I'm going to structure our approach to this section under two questions which arise from direct commands. The direct commands are 
Chapter 1, verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And that is clarified and supported by the detail of chapter 2, verse 1. And then the second command is chapter 2, verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk. And that's a dream for any preacher. That gives me two L's. So I didn't have to look far from my headings this week. So the questions are this morning, what about this love and what about this longing? That's what we're going to ask and answer as we look at this passage today. What about this love and what about this longing? So first of all, what about this love? Well, Peter's command comes, as we've seen there, at the end of verse 22 of chapter 1. But the reason I began by asking you to recall the earliest experiences of your Christian life, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, was, was really twofold, partly to reacquaint us with what we've seen so far in this letter, and also to help us understand what Peter is referring to in this 22nd verse of the first chapter. Let's look at it in its context. Chapter 22, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, when Peter speaks of their obedience to the truth, He's talking about that, this positive response to the gospel of the Lord Jesus that was preached to them. They'd heard the gospel, they'd heard it as good news, they'd heard that truth, and they acted positively upon it. That's what he means by obedience to the truth. It's obedience to the Lord. And we saw that very definition back in chapter 1, verse 2. Do you remember right at the beginning when he's writing uh, when he's tell us who he's writing to these elect exiles, who are chapter 1, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sancti sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. So obedience to the truth is obedience to Jesus Christ, and we, the way we know what that looks like is by hearing the gospel of truth. He is the truth. This is their positive response to Christ. They came to believe what he said about themselves, that they were sinners under condemnation. They came to believe what he said about him as their only savior who'd given his life. They'd been ransomed, not by perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And they acted upon that good news. That is obedience to the truth. It's important, isn't it? Just to be reminded of that this morning at the beginning of a new year and as we head back into this letter, it's important to be reminded from this little phrase in verse 22 that Christian discipleship is not just about believing, it's about obeying. It's not just about what goes on in our brains, it's about what goes on in our lives. It's about obeying the Lord and his word. And I wonder if you find the posture of your heart like that, ready to hear willing to change in obedience to the Lord. As I've been looking ahead in 1 Peter and, 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 and getting ready for what's coming, I expect that we will find our willingness to obey him in his word tested in the coming weeks. There are some things that Peter is going to say because he writes with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some things that he's going to say that are going to, they're going to noise us up a little bit. We're going to find it's not how we think. 
we're going to see that it calls for a kind of life that's not how we would want to really live. There's going to be some stuff that's going to be a bit uncomfortable. And the question is, are we going to have that posture of heart that is ready to be obedient? But that post positive response by Peter's readers to the gospel changed changed them internally, verse 22, as it purified their souls, and it changed them externally as they suddenly found they had this kind of familial love, this brotherly love, this family love for each other. That's the first half of verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And I imagine them gathering the first time to read Peter's letter when I was through in my uh, study this last week working on this and thinking about you and, and picturing where you would be when you sat here on Sunday morning and heard the word and praying for you. I was picturing what it was like when this letter first arrived and when the little churches who'd been scattered all over what we used to call Asia Minor got together maybe in little clusters and one of the elders would read Peter's letter. And what was that like? when they came to verse 22, maybe not realizing all the changes that had been in working them, maybe not realizing that the gospel of the Lord Jesus had had the power to purify their souls, conscious of, as they still were of their sin, that they'd been declared righteous, amazing, and that this obedience to the word could keep them pure as they went forward. And then they read of their Personal, individual obedience to the truth also brought about this sincere brotherly love. And I wonder when Peter wrote that and when they read that third line of verse 22, it maybe had never occurred to them before. Maybe they didn't realize that they were experiencing this. And so picture the old elder in the, in the little group reading this out, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And he, and he stops and he looks up and he looks around the little group, the little fellowship of, of young believers. And they ask each other, well, is, is what Peter's writing true of us? Have we, got that kind of, have we got that kind of family love for each other? And then a, a few heads would begin to nod. And a few voices would confirm. And they would realize, yeah, it is true. It's not that we started a campaign. It's not that someone said we ought to have this kind of family love for each other. No, actually, it's true. It is part and parcel of what it means to be a believer. It is part and parcel of what it means to be part of the family of God. The Lord was at work among them. He'd given them a supernatural love for each other. And that's a key moment in this letter. We've come through the narrow neck of the bottle and now the letter of 1 Peter is beginning to broaden out a little bit if you want to put it that way. He began by writing about in the neck of the bottle personal faith in the Lord. That's what the first 21 verses have been all about. But now from verse 22 on, he begins writing about corporate fellowship in the church. He moves beyond the individual experience to the, to the, to the whole church family experience. And we're going to be thinking about this for the next few weeks. And as Jonathan was talking to the boys and girls this morning about one kings and about the idea of their temple and their not being a temple anymore, we're going to see what Peter has to say about that. God willing, next Sunday. 
And it's such a key thing for us to follow this pattern in our Christian lives, for us not only to think about ourselves individually as Christians, but to think about us corporately as Christians. So then Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I've been driving the staff team and my family and anyone else who listened to me mad for the last 10 days trying to figure out verse 22. I found it very, very hard to, to trace what was going on there. How could they have a sincerely a sincere brotherly love and then be asked to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? How could that be? Because Jonathan was preaching last Sunday, I started work on this 10 days ago. And I was still at it to seven o'clock last night. So it's taken me a while to crack this and to understand it. But I think I see the pattern now. In the first part of verse 22, Peter's saying, you've been made new. God has worked his love into your lives. You've obeyed the truth. You've responded positively, positively to the gospel. Your souls are purified and you've got this brotherly love going on among yourselves. Oh yeah, we have. Now says Peter, own it. God's done the work, now own it. He's given you this love, now you act on it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That means love one another consciously. Love one another intentionally. Love one another consistently, not just one or two people that you naturally hit it off with. Love one another practically. Love one another deeply. Love one another strongly. God has done the work in your life. You've obeyed the truth. Your soul is purified. This sincere brotherly love is at work. Now, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And what's the ground of that command in verse 22? Well, he doesn't say love one another earnestly because you're in amongst a very lovable bunch of people. That's true. I find you a very lovable bunch of people, but that's not the ground that Peter gives for that. No, the ground is, look at it, verse 22 and into 23. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. That's the ground of the command that we would love one another. We've got new life in us. The love for one another was possible only because we'd been born again. And our new life had spiritual origins. Peter describes it as imperishable seed. And how was that seed implanted in them to bring forth this new life? Can you believe it? It was, verse 23, through the living and abiding word of God. And how does anyone possibly hear God speaking today or then? How does anyone hear the living and enduring word of God, the living and lasting word of God? How does God speak to people? Can you believe it? Verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. That's an incredible thing. That God takes not only the inscripturated word that he has given us, but he takes by the power of his Holy Spirit the efforts 
of a man to come and to wait under the authority of the word of God and then to bring forth what is actually here so that the people of God can see it. God uses that for people to hear his voice. So my expectation is that as this good news is preached to you even today, as Jonathan preached it to the boys and girls, we have a savior who followed God wholly with his whole heart and did everything right. Put your trust in him. As this good news is preached here today, our expectation is that you will hear the living and enduring word of God. As this new year begins and we turn back to 1 Peter, our expectation is the reason we do this is not just for good form. It's not for reputation. It's not because it's a bit harder than other kinds of preaching and we like to make things hard for ourselves. Fooey to all of that. Our expectation is that we open the word of God and we get together under the sound of it and we all place ourselves under its authority. And our expectation is that we will hear the living and enduring word of God as his word is implanted as imperishable seed that changes lives forever. That's what happened to Peter's first readers. They'd obeyed the truth. They'd known the purification process in their lives. They found that they had a sincere brotherly love for each other. And now Peter tells them, and us, own it. Act on it. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And he helps us understand the, 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 the pure heart aspect of it in the beginning of chapter 2. Of course, the, the chapter and verse divisions are not original. We know that. So that's how we've got to sometimes ignore them. They're a very helpful reference so that you can find the sentences I'm looking at and you can see them in your own Bible. I'm experimenting today without PowerPoint, incidentally. If you have any strong views about that, do tell me if you think it's more helpful or less helpful. Do feedback on that. But I, we'd love just to have the Bible open in front of us to see this. But how does... how? How are we to do this from a pure heart? How are we to love one another earnestly? What, what does that look like? Well, after speaking about the power of the word, he goes in chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, Put away or get rid of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He's an absolute realist, isn't he? You, know, you can't say that Peter lives in cloud cuckoo land. He knows that these attitudes, malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, thrive so naturally in the human heart that we scarcely even notice them. These things feel so normal. These things are how you get by in the world. These things are how you look after number one. And brothers and sisters, unless we obey the truth, these relationship destroyers in chapter 2 verse 1, these fellowship destroyers will grow and multiply among us as we are full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. The picture I had in my mind as I thought about this was the old, it used to be an old advertisement for Domestus. And part of the cutaway, other detergents are available, but there was a cutaway and it showed loads of germs spreading, growing, multiplying. And then somebody, somebody got the domestus. Sorry if you were, if you're hearing aids on when you said, when I did that, blew your head off. 
But the sound of the third of the bottle going down kills known germs dead. That used to be the old advertisement. And I look at the germs that are naturally multiplying among us. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Naturally, every time we get together, these things are just growing. Unless we get rid of them. Unless we obey the truth. Otherwise, we will take it upon ourselves to sort someone out. To put them in their place. To create a false impression. To be slightly economical with the truth when we're explaining why we said such and such a thing. To pretend we really care when we don't give a fig for the person. That's hypocrisy. To be consumed with envy. Or to have a lovely conversation with somebody and then get in the car and as we drive away waving at them, we're telling the people in the car what we really think about them and tearing them to shreds. That's slander. And Peter knows that they are, his readers are under pressure. And he knows that as they live in this pressured environment, as elect exiles, as scattered and scorned, remember the pairing we talked about last year, he knows that these are the very circumstances where these relational tensions arise so easily. But the Lord is already at work among them and he's already at work, brothers and sisters, among us. And so as we grow to maturity, we're to know that there is such a thing as earnest love for one another. And we're to put away the weapons of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander. And don't put them in the sock drawer where you can easily find them. Put them in the skip. Get rid of them. Put them as far away from you as you want the Lord Jesus to put the record of your sin far away from him. And he does. So, what about this love? Well, there it is. Secondly, what about this longing? And you might be thinking, what about this lunch? Uh, well, it's coming. I'll be much more brief on the second of these points. What about this longing? Let's stay with chapter 2, verse 1, which is the practical outworking of chapter 1, verse 22. This is how we gain a sincere brotherly love. This is how we have a, an earnest love from a pure heart. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, slander. And then verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Now we'll see in a moment that the pure spiritual milk that he's talking about, and the picture's pretty obvious, it's, a, it's like a baby craving milk, craving sustenance, and we're to crave sustenance, we're to long for it, and the thing we're to long for is this word of God. And by it we taste the goodness of God, which transforms our lives. And so in the way that babies loudly long for the sustenance of milk, Peter says we're to long for the pure spiritual milk to grow up in our salvation. But just think for a moment how remarkable this second verse of chapter 2 is. Because if the milk is the word of God, we're not just commanded here to read our Bibles. We're not commanded here to pay attention to the preaching, although it's in, I think it's implicit. We're not even commanded just to obey the word. We're commanded rather to long for it. Now that's extraordinary. 
How do you begin to respond to a command to long for something? What about this longing? Well, it's January. Have you joined the gym? Have you got the juicer out from the back of the cupboard? And uh, when your colleagues are passing around or your family are passing around the remains of the Christmas chocolates, are you one of these people who's been up early in the morning with the carrots and the broccoli to make a delicious, nutritious drink for yourself in the juicer? And when the big tub of sweets is passed around, you say, oh, no thanks, I, I quite enjoy my beetroot and kale uh, with a hint of turnip. And uh, it's, it's funny, you know, I've really, I've really gained a, a real appreciation of it. I really quite enjoy it now. I find my tastes are changing. I'd rather have a crunchy carrot than a crunchy. Now, if you're like that, my admiration for you is unending. <laughs> but when I get home after a long day and discover it's an hour until we eat, and I look in the fridge, I don't long for a stick of celery. I long for a roll and sausage. And maybe some stone away black pudding. Now I might eat the celery, but how do I change my longing? When I'm driving home in the dark nights and I'm already hungry, how do I change my longing? You see the point? When he says, long for the pure milk of the word. Well, he's already confident that his readers like what they've tasted. Verse 3 of chapter 2. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And he's reminded us already about the goodness of the Lord as discovered by obedience to his word. The goodness of the Lord that purifies our souls, that calms our consciences that are on red alert, that produces this brotherly love. And more basically still, he's reminded us that, that the pure milk of the word is the means of our being born again. We've already seen there in verse 23 of chapter 1. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. That's the thing that we're to long for. So we should actively long for more of it because it is imperishable. It is indestructible. Because it has produced eternal life in us. So there's a good reason to long for more of it. And then Peter quotes in Isaiah 40. He quotes it there in verse 24. He says, chapter 1, verse 24, have a look at it with me. For all flesh are all people are like grass. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. We'll stop there just for a moment before we go on. So he's reminding us here in verse 24 of the terribly temporary nature of human life. He's reminding us that we were born of perishable seed and therefore we are all perishable. The old hymn said, frail as summer's flower we flourish. Blows the wind and it is gone. The trouble is that we never realize our frailty until it's too late because we do flourish. All flesh is like 
grass and it has a glory. And the flower that grows in the meadow on the summer's day is magnificent to look at. But it's not there three months later. And there is a flourishing in human life. There is a glory about being made in the image of God even if you completely ignore him. But that's why you do ignore him. That's why people do have nothing to do with him and his word and won't hear the good news of his gospel because they're flourishing and they think they can do that forever without him. But it's such a short phase. All flesh is like grass. Its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you and so if you long to remain forever and not not in this fallen world but if you long to remain forever and exist forever and live forever in indescribable paradise with every longing sorted and satisfied then come to terms with what Peter is telling us about the word of the Lord that remains forever and of the fact that it is good news. And as you see its awesome impact in life, long for more of it yourself. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, and that longing for the pure milk of the word will enable us to grow up in our salvation and will enable us Chapter 1, verse 22, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's where the power to do that comes from. So there are two directions in which we should grow according to this passage. What about this love? What about this longing? Well, we should grow close in earnest love. As a church family, we should grow close. But we should also grow up in word-driven spiritual maturity. I've said before that sometimes churches like ours that make a priority not only of singing the Lord's praise and speaking to the boys and girls and having all the lovely aspects of the early part of our meeting this morning and it's such a blessing to be part of that. We make a priority not only of that, we make a priority of, of hearing from the word of God in the morning and in the evening from a variety of people who preach here on the preaching team among the, the elders and others. And it's a great thing that we have that gift to use. But it's sometimes said of churches like ours that make a priority of hearing the word of God, we're sometimes caricatured as being a bit boring, a bit bookish, a bit lifeless, a bit loveless. But Peter tells us, can you see that there is no joyful, thrilling, life-changing adventure without the Word of God. But with the Word of God, there is joyful, thrilling, life-changing adventure. There is no power to love one another out with the Word of God, but there is power as His Word with its imperishable seed is unleashed in our lives to bring that change. So what about our love? May we grow close. And what about our longing? May we grow up. Let's pray together. All flesh is like grass. It's glory like the flower of grass. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We bow before you this morning, our gracious Heavenly Father, as a testimony to this truth. We believe that even this morning, through these frail efforts, your voice has been heard. We've seen truth. We've heard truth. You've spoken. You've come to us in our weakness and you've pointed out the realities of life and the realities of the new life in Christ. And we ask our gracious Father that these things would characterize us as a church family this year. That there would be in us that earnest love of one another. And there would be in us that earnest longing for the pure spiritual milk, that by it we may grow up into salvation. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we have tasted that you are good. Grant us a greater longing for more of that goodness, more of you in our lives, we pray. And for any listening this morning who have not yet come to put their trust in Christ, grant them to come to terms with the temporary nature of our glory and our flourishing. That like the grass we will wither and the flower we will fall, but there is a way of remaining forever by being made new through this living and enduring word of God. We ask it for the glory of your name. Amen.